how politics influences research and what is being published. Okay, so if we look uh, at the Soviet Union, the Soviet Union is a great example of really strong pressures being put on researchers. There was a book I was reading once uh, in the university, uh, McGill University Library, and it was a historical analysis of Soviet science and how even things like chemistry needed to promote uh, the party. And if not, then it was somehow anti, uh, anti-communist or anti-socialist. Um, this was really interesting, and so I think there's a very obvious way that you can see, say that politics or social pressures could heavily influence things that really seem to have nothing to do with human life. You could study asteroids in the outer rings of some random galaxy and uh, somehow make it about human politics. So is this simply the social pressures and the scientists don't really want to be doing it, but they do it anyway because they're afraid of getting pressured? Or is it that um, somehow that the ideology of the day on people's ethics and morality actually does want to encroach in and how they view the world? Um, there's not going to be a general rule for that. There's going to be some people who don't really want to be doing any kind of political uh, activism in their research, and they're only doing it because they feel pressured. And then there's going to be a lot of people who they're just very, very interested in what's going on politically, and they're going to be pushing these ideas uh, into their worldview because that's what they're thinking about every day. So is it the case that um, research nowadays is getting sort of um, uh, steered towards politics, or is it the case that just because everyone's thinking about politics, it's, it's just bleeding over into research? I think everyone can agree that both will be happening. Um, when people are... Uh, exposed to a particular idea, they want to talk about it. I'm going to, to actually guess that the reason why politics is, uh, seems to be bleeding into uh, research nowadays is not so much that um, there's heavy, heavy pressure in the publication system, although the, there is, uh, the publication system is actually rigged in a particular way. Um, it's actually just the case that with the growth of the internet in the information age, no matter how obscure of a research uh, that someone's doing, they're getting exposed to Twitter, they're getting exposed to the news cycle, and so they're thinking about these things all the time. Say 50 years ago, if you were a researcher in chemistry, and that's all you were looking at all day is chemistry, and you were talking to other chemistry researchers, and it's all about chemistry. Well, then you're only going to be writing about chemistry, but if you're uh, a chemist today, and you're watching the news, then you're thinking about that all the time. And so, of course, it just brings the ideas to bear. The bigger threat, I think, uh, really than the fact that it seems like academia is broadly becoming a political arena, is that thought in general is becoming unified. Insofar as information is being shared across the internet so broadly, it comes with major advantages, namely that you have easier information sharing. But the major disadvantage is that you don't get the diversity uh, of thought that comes with isolation. If you really want to be creative, one thing you can do is go and sit down with somebody who you have a great conversational rapport with and discuss things at length. However, if that's the only thing you ever do is sit around and discuss with other people, you might end up just coming up with sort of the same ideas that you and your friend are always discussing. There is value in going and uh, sitting alone and thinking on some mountaintop in the middle of nowhere. Even in evolutionary biology and ecology, a lot of what is uh, driving um, 
the creation of new species is not necessarily Darwinian selection, but something called neutral selection, where you have an arbitrary separation of, of populations caused by some geographical barrier or whatever. And because of that, they end up, not because there's a selection pressure, but just because they're isolated, drifting away from each other. And so the bigger threat, I think, than the idea that politics is bleeding into academia, per se, is simply the idea that with the internet and the great and greater information sharing is that um, we're all getting exposed to the same ideas, the same inputs, and there's not as much room for isolation and the development of novel, unique ideas. So what can one do about that? Uh, the first thing is obviously uh, to deal, we need to address that the, the fact that there could be external forces pushing people to say the same thing and to become political. That's probably the most obvious thing to, to solve. Um, if you want to reduce the amount of pressure that you have uh, coming into academia, then obviously the best thing to do is to try and figure out a different incentive system. The incentive system in academia nowadays is very, very much about two things, getting your paper published and citations. Both of them somewhat are a popularity contest. And insofar as academia is a popularity contest, that's going to make, uh, you know, you have to, if you publish about AI rather than algorithms or programs, just using the term AI, it's more likely to get published. That's going to gradually reduce the quality of academia into tabloids. It's going to be such and such aliens are dating the president, you know, very, very nonsensical ideas. Um, that's ultimately up to journals. And if they don't do that, then the uh, useful function of truth seeking and knowledge generation in society will be taken over by other things. They'll be taken over by public intellectuals on the internet. They'll be taken over by programmers in private, uh, private industry. So this means just essentially scientists may stop going through universities. The real scientists might just be in firms who are trying to create knowledge because it creates a uh, competitive advantage for the firm. Um, so that's ultimately more of an empirical question of where is the advantage in generating knowledge and is there uh, an incentive attached to generating real knowledge that is not simply a popularity contest. Because if it all comes down to popularity contests and humans trying to be cooler than other humans, then ultimately the knowledge seeking uh, advantage will go somewhere else rather than academia. So when it comes to um, generating isolation, um, that's a bit tricky because if you generate isolation, you don't get the social reward of having other people recognize you. A lot of the reason why uh, people want their research published is because they can get jobs, because they can get um, more research funding, they're interested in what they're doing, they want to talk to other people, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of it is that there is an emotional reward of being famous, is that you get other people to recognize you. Many, many, many academics, myself included, have daydreams about being recognized as famous and brilliant. It's a hierarchy that, uh, that has climbed, and that internal hierarchy of I want to be perceived as brilliant is totally normal, totally human, totally natural. We are born with hierarchies deep within our psychological architecture. We want to climb and, and be the best at something. There are some things that are, be, that are more healthy to want to climb and to be the best at than other things. If you're in a cultural uh, environment where the number one thing that makes you cool is, for example, how many other people you've shot. That's not a really healthy culture. And yet many, many people uh, around the world do live in exactly that cultural environment. 
if you are a gang member in some gang in Mexico, you know, the people around you uh, associate your rank with how tough you are or how dangerous you are, then that is a direct indicator of, uh, you know, of how, uh, how you rank in that hierarchy. In another uh, field, like for in academia, it could be number of citations you have. People talk about uh, Michael Porter with his half million plus uh, uh, citations as you know, some kind of demigod uh, in academia. Even though, no offense, but his models are pretty simplistic and they're really more descriptive frameworks than any kind of explanation, at least in my opinion. Um, some of the best scientists are totally obscure and nobody pays attention to, her, to them. So there is a reason why uh, Justin Bieber is uh, you know, one of the most followed people on Twitter and not David Deutsch. Or you know, nobody knows who von Neumann is, uh, you know, but they'll know who uh, the Kardashians are. Uh, people want to be famous and one of those things is to publish things that are popular and talked about. So we have the psychological mechanism that we want to be famous and that's fine. How do, how do we mix all these things together in order to generate the isolation that we need uh, in our own thoughts and the freedom in our own thoughts to come up with those unique ideas? It's best to do that by creating a personal hierarchy where you choose how you want to be, perceive yourself as valuable. If you genuinely want knowledge, then consider yourself, I am a better person if I am more committed to the underlying truth, even if nobody else knows that I know. So if you can say to yourself, I am so interested in, in actually knowing how the world works, even if no one else uh, ever knows that I know, then you're detaching the social hierarchies from knowledge. And that's really a personal challenge, it's an emotional challenge. Is it possible for each individual to say, I don't really need to be recognized as brilliant, but rather, I would rather truly know what's going on in the world, even if silently and not famous.